anyway, I've picked a parable. Um, it's, one, it's one that you don't really hear preached on very often. There might be a really good reason for that. We'll see where we get to. Um, but the second half of the passage, which we're going to move on to, is probably a passage you're a bit more familiar with. Um, so for those of you who like a title, this morning, if you're making notes, the title is, You Can Have It All and Still Have Nothing. You Can Have It All and Still Have Nothing. Now, for those of you who know me, and uh, confessions for those of you who don't, I'm a hoarder. If any of you have ever been to my flat or ever have the privilege of coming to my flat, you will see that I keep a lot of stuff. Um, Useful stuff, stuff of sentimental value, stuff that I believe but one day will be useful. I don't know if any of you have seen the Michael McIntyre sketch where he talks about having a mandrel where things just go to die that you don't need anymore, like dead batteries that might just have a little bit of juice in them. (laughs) Greek drachma, anyone? I'm a little bit like that, and my flat is kind of like a mandrel. I keep useful things like, you know, carrier bags. This was before the 5p charge came in. You know, the carrier bags with the strong handles, the ones used to get next and Debenhams, you know. They sit in the cupboard, and they never, ever leave. I've got clothes that are about six sizes too small for me, because I believe maybe one day... (laughs) I'm trying. They may get into them, by which time the 90s fashions will be having a comeback, right? Um, as a crafter, I keep an awful lot of paper and fabrics for all those projects I'm going to do one day, um, and books. I actually have loads and loads of books, and I really hate reading. They've all got a bookmark about two chapters in. <laughs> I run out of bookmarks sometimes. I don't know if this is anyone else or if this is just me. Um, we all kind of have stuff that we've accumulated that we don't necessarily need. About a year ago, um, Marie Kondo became a, a thing. Um, she was this lady who uh, tells you, if you're going to have a clear out, you need to get all your clothes out and have them all in sight and look at everything you've got. And if it doesn't bring you joy, chuck it away. I don't need to do that because all my clothes are already in sight because they don't fit in the wardrobe. <laughs> so um, she'd have a field day if she came to my house. What I'm trying to say here is you grow to fill your space. About uh, five years ago, I lived in a a shared house, I had one bedroom, and I filled that bedroom. For five years, I've lived in a one-bedroom flat with a separate living room and everything. I have filled that space, and I don't really know how I've done it. And I'm now thinking, one day I want to buy a house, at least two bedrooms, because I can't fit all of my flat in a one-bedroom flat somewhere else. But when is enough enough? I confess that I always still want to strive for the next thing. And I think, if we're honest, we probably all do the same kind of thing. We have one thing, then we think, well, I could get the upgrade of that. Or when the next thing, I could get the next version of that. But when is enough enough? When does it bring us joy? And when does it make us happy? I read a really interesting article um, when I was preparing for this. Um, It actually really shocked me, to be quite honest. Um, As of, this is a, a Metro article, so as of January 2019... The fortunes of the nine richest men in the world put together amount to more money than the poorest four billion in the world. Nine men and four billion people have the same amount. I've put up a slide here. These guys, uh, very handsome chaps, obviously. This is the current Forbes billionaires rich list, the top ten in the world. Most of them are self-made tech giants. Um, You've got... Jeff Bezos there, the, the, the founder of Amazon. You might argue these guys have it all when you look at their bank balances and you look at what they've made in life and the success they've made of themselves. But are they really happy? Have they really got everything that they've always desired? Uh, have they got everything? 
Um, so Jeff Bezos, number one there, he's the Amazon founder. You think he must be really, really happy with a bank balance like that, wouldn't you? He's actually getting divorced after 25 years of marriage. So he's obviously not that happy. So since these numbers were published in March, that number's gone down a bit because he had to give a load to his ex-wife. But I think he's still on the top, he's still the top of the list. For these people, when is enough enough? They have obscene amounts of money in their bank accounts, but are they really that happy? Keeping hold of it and trying to make more is probably what drives them more than most things. I'm sure we've all planned what we could possibly do if we had that 1.3 billion pounds. Uh, if we won the lottery, which of course we don't play, um, and we had infinite money, what would we buy? What would you buy if you had infinite money? As a kid, I used to run this uh, game with the, does it show my age, the Argos catalogue. I used to decide if I had every room in my house and I could furnish it with whatever I wanted from this catalogue, what would I pick? And I used to make lists and go through and add it all up. You needed a lot of money. Um, and that was just the Argos catalogue. That wasn't before I got my expensive tastes when I used to work in Laura Ashley. <laughs> so why am I saying all this? Why do we fill our lives with this stuff? Quite often it's because we're trying to build security for the future. And that's exactly what this man did in the parable that I want to show you today. If you turn with me to Luke 12, from verse 13. Now before I read this, I just want to ask a question. If, you, if I told you, you've got, in 10 seconds time, Jesus is going to walk through that door, and you've got 30 seconds to ask him any question you want, ask him for anything, what would you ask him for? Just have a real think about that. He's coming. He's coming. What are you going to ask? That's what happened to someone in this passage. So, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Then he said to them all, Beware and be on your guard of every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. This guy had 30 seconds to ask Jesus anything. This is Jesus. He's heard about all his life. He's waiting for this Messiah. He's been coming along. He's in town. He's got 30 seconds with him. I'm going to ask him this really important burning question that I've got. Jesus, Jesus, sort out my brother. He's being mean to me. That's what he felt was an important thing to ask. What does this tell us about the place his heart was in? That that was the most important thing on his agenda. He's got 30 seconds with the king of kings. He's in his town and he chooses to ask a question about money and wants to know why his brother's... Jesus sought out my brother, he's being mean. Now, we don't know whether he was entitled to the money. We don't know whether the brother was entitled to the money. We don't know what family arrangement they had. But Jesus actually doesn't address any of that. His rebuke is straight to him. Who appointed me judge over you? That's not why I'm here. That's not what I've come for. You've missed the point. He then goes on to address the crowds. And I think this statement really stood out to me. Beware and be on your guard for every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. He then goes on to address his disciples with a parable. Or the crowds with the parable. So from Luke... 12, carrying on. And he told them this parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have nowhere to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I'll store all my grain and goods. 
And then I'll say to my soul, soul, you've got many goods laid up for you for many years to come. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. Now who will own what you have prepared? So is a man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. Now this man, he's got two things going on here. One, he's had really productive land. He's actually had a really good time of it. He's been really successful. He's built what he needs to do. Effectively, what he's got in the face of it is a storage issue, a bit like my flat. Modern equivalents of perhaps having an issue like this would be you've got too much money for your bank account. It's got a limit on it and you need to get an upgrade. Your iPhone storage is too full, again. Too many nice photos of nice memories and things you've done. Too much stuff in my flat and needing a bigger house. Too many clothes for that bulging wardrobe. Or is it just that we're trying to build a bigger and better career for ourselves? But on the face of it, really what he's done is he's built a practical issue. He's not got enough space, so he's upgrading his space for a bigger space. That's not what this parable is about. Jesus isn't talking about it's not okay to build a bigger house to store your stuff. He's saying he's addressing the heart issue of the man. He was coming at it saying, I've got all this good stuff that I've made. Soul, you've got many goods laid up for you. He's really talking to himself. He's being driven by his soul. We're always talking here about the fact we're three-part beings, body, soul, and spirit. He's really being driven by that soul part of his body and the fleshly desires that he has. So Jesus is addressing the heart condition of the man, not his storage issue. So the second problem he's got that Jesus is trying to address here is that when I have enough, one day I'm going to relax and enjoy all I've built. Do you ever have that question when you're a kid? When I grow up, I want to be... I still ask that, and I'm 36. <laughs> but we're always moving on to the next thing. If I work hard and get this achievement, if I work hard and get that promotion, then I'll do better. And when I've got all that stuff, I'll be in a good place, and I'll be happy, and then I'll really enjoy it, because I'll be able to do all the things I wanted to do. Yeah. It's a real heart motive that, that we can be driven by. Have a nice, lovely retirement, tour the world. My parents are planning to sell up, get a camper van, and tour Europe with their retirement. Like, that's what we kind of, you know, that's the dream. Go and do all the things we couldn't have time to do when we were busy. It's appraisal season for me at work as well. Do you ever get that question? Where do you want to be in five years' time? Really, my honest answer is not working here. I want to be married and have a family. But I can't say that in my appraisal. So I have to say, oh, assistant manager would be nice. <laughs> but quite honestly, we all have that kind of goal where you need to do everything now, then we can take it easy and rest and enjoy. I've done that myself, even in the small things. Rewarding yourself with chocolate for getting through your emails at work in the morning. <laughs> Having a barbecue at the end of a nice day in the garden when you've done loads of work, got it all sorted out. We reward ourselves with things for making those achievements. But in this passage, God calls this man a fool. That's quite harsh. I read this and I was like, wow, harsh. He's done well for himself. That's harsh. Jesus is implying this man has no one to share his wealth with. He's obviously not built the relationships in his life to make those have something. And what, what will become of it all now? What a waste. Verse 21 says, So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. In the Amplified Version, it expands that and it says, is not rich in his relationship towards God. That's the context Jesus is talking about here. There is so much more to life than accumulating stuff and achievements. So if that's not what we're supposed to be building for, then what are we supposed to be doing? 
Jesus is making a very, very clear contrast here between richness of the world and riches in relationship. This isn't about investing in stuff. It's about investing in a relationship that lasts. So how do we do that? Now, I'm going to be really real with you. When we got to the end of this parable exercise that we were doing, I was like, well, that's a bit of a rebuke. Please don't ever let me preach this. I don't ever want to to have to speak that out loud to people because I was quite convicted by it. Um, Basically, you're saying it's not okay for me to to have stuff, but that's not the point here. I want to make it really, really, really clear. Jesus is not here saying, and I'm not here today saying, it's not okay to have stuff. It's very, very okay to have stuff. But when that stuff has you, that's when it becomes a problem. So, the passage actually doesn't stop there. I know there's like a heading probably in your Bible that that's where the passage kind of ends. But there's actually a continuation. It's interesting who Jesus has been addressing all the way along in this passage. At the start, he was talking to the man when he rebuked him. He said, that's, why I'm not, that's not why I'm here. You've missed the point. He was talking to the man. He's then turning to the crowds and he tells them the parable. There's an interesting thing that happens an awful lot in the Bible. You'll see that there are, uh, whenever Jesus does a parable, he'll, he'll have a background story. He'll give the parable, and then everyone goes, oh, I don't like that, and they'll all walk away. And then he'll say, right, disciples, the ones who actually want to listen, yeah. here's what I mean by the parable I've just told you. And so often we stop at the parable and we get, oh, I don't really know what that means. Or, well, oh, I didn't like what that said. <laughs> but we have to look onwards. We have to look beyond to what he says to his disciples. So he gives them the explanation. Verse 22 starts, For this reason I say to you. So for the reasons that that man got it all wrong, this is what I'm saying to you, and I've lost my passage. I have to to read it from the Bible. For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat or drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, They neither sow nor reap, nor they have storerooms nor barns, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your lifespan? If you cannot even do this very little thing, then why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. That's a passage we've probably all heard before, probably without the parable before it. I've never heard anyone preach the parable bit. Jesus is giving this explanation to those who actually really want to listen, the disciples that have chosen to follow him and chosen to listen to his heart. For this reason, let's do this. Let's get it right. Let's not do this. So that you don't make the same mistakes that this man made, here's what we need to do. When our focus is on the things we need, we so often forget all that we already have and all that we can get, uh, all that we already have all we need in, in Jesus. This passage does go on to give several examples of nature where birds, lilies and grass have all got it more sorted than the man, more sorted than we have. They're not stressed about having what they need. Which one of us has not been stressed by something that we needed in the past? Think back to them billionaires. Which one of them has not toiled and worked and hard and had sleepless nights and struggled and had failures and gone through all sorts of things to get where they've got to? And yet, the birds blessed I don't want to be a broken billionaire I want to be a breezy bird I want to be blessed and know that I've got everything I need because of the creator and I know who he is and I know what he's got this made me think about um, them little memes that go around on Facebook all the time be like Bob sorry Bob Bob. (laughs) be more like Bob 
Bob doesn't worry about tomorrow. Bob is smart. Bob, God knows, uh, Bob knows God loves him. Be more like Bob. Be more like a breezy bird, not a broken billionaire. <laughs> this be anxious for nothing passage is really over familiar to a lot of people. And it's one of those ones that you kind of like, you read the parable and you go, oh yeah, I know that, I know that passage. Um, most of us probably know it from, from the passage in Matthew 6, 33 which says, seek first the kingdom. That version doesn't have the barn story, but it puts it quite bluntly that you can't serve two masters, God and riches. I've heard that passage preached and talked about in many, many different ways, and I'm not entirely sure that in my life they've always been that helpful. It's often preached as a condemnation. You need to stop worrying about all this stuff. God knows what you need. Or as a bargaining tool. If you put God first, then you'll get all the other stuff. Anyone heard these versions of these stories? Or put God first, and then you'll be so wrapped up in him that you won't worry about the other stuff anymore because you just want what he wants. I've not particularly found those uh, helpful too much in the context of having anxiety in our own lives. Um, But when you read it in the context of this parable, when Jesus has told this story beforehand, it kind of brings a new meaning. God's not asking us to just not get stressed about stuff. That's not what he's saying at all. Jesus is asking us to shift our mindset away from thinking about the stuff into a, and thinking about a relationship with God. He's actually asking us to shift our mindset from the things of this earth to eternity. Yeah. It's a real big challenge where our focus is. Yeah. Now, for those of you who are visual, I've got a little visual illustration. I, I'm a visual person. Um, I'll, I'll confess, I, I pinched part of this from somebody else but I have changed it a bit. Mark and Cheryl, can you say bye you? I have practiced this with them. <laughs> Cheryl, we, we Cheryl can have that end. We practice intensively. Experts are holding string. There you go. That only needs to be about that long, probably. Now, we all have goals in life, and, and I'll be straight up. I'm not saying none of these things are okay. Um, so... We all have things that happen in the timeline. This is our washing line of life. We start here. We're born. Sorry if you can't see the words, but it's the the principle. that. And uh, unfortunately, there is going to be a time when we all die. In that time, we do lots and lots of different things, and we have lots of goals and lots of things we want to achieve. First of all, we're really pleased when we start to walk and talk, although I'm not sure parents are necessarily pleased when we start to talk. We all go to school, and hopefully we're all going to be really, really good at school, and we're going to achieve great things and go to university and do all the other things we want to achieve, get good grades. Well done to anyone who got grades this week. And then we're going to get our first job. This is the job we've been dreaming of. Well, perhaps it's not. It's the first step on the ladder to the job we've been dreaming of, let's be honest. And then we all probably, I desire, to get married. For a lot of people, that's a really big marker on their thing. It may happen here, it may happen here, but it's a goal. Also a goal, house. First house, get the keys. You've made it in life. You've got your first house. And then you're going to start a family because now you've got somewhere to put them. (laughs) And then it would be really good if I got that senior manager position at work that I've been dreaming of for life and it's... My, my job, you know, I've been doing it for years. I really want that promotion. And then I can buy my bigger house. 
And then the kids are going to go to school and they're going to get great grades and I'm going to retire. I'm going to have a big enough pot to do everything I want and go on that dream holiday. Cruise around the Caribbean, anyone? And I'm going to have all this time to do everything I absolutely love doing. These are all great things. Not one of them is something we shouldn't aim for. They're all things that we all probably want in life. We're all on different stages in this run of life. We all get really hung up, no pun intended, on this washing line of life and moving along it and getting through all those things. But what about all this? The next thing that I have. So some of us, these are so big, these are all we can see. That what we're going to do in this little period of life. <laughs> I could have unraveled it beforehand, couldn't I? <laughs> They're all, these are all incredibly important milestones in our life, and I'm not belittling any single one of them. But as you can see, eternity goes on forever. <laughs> And there is no end. Do you want a shell to help you? <laughs> <laughs> These things are really, really important milestones to every single one of us. And for some people, they're huge, huge challenges. Um, and I'm not trying to belittle them at all. But this, I said, honestly, this has really challenged me. Because I get hung up on some of those things that I haven't seen yet. And when am I going to see them? But quite honestly, that's how much of my lifespan it fills up. There's a whole lot more time I need to be worried about. Am I just building for those hundred years of my life? And what about all of these ones? Thank you. No, you <laughs> there endeth my visual illustration. You can sit down. Thanks, guys. No. I think that just really goes to show that we can have it all, but we can have nothing when you put it in the context of eternity. Yeah. Which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to that lifespan? I mean, worry all you like. You cannot make that rope any longer. It doesn't get any longer. So Jesus is asking us to shift our perspective. Too often I've heard that be anxious for nothing passage is like a comfort user. You know, don't be anxious for things. But it's so much more than that. I read an article recently which said there's been a shift in the popular verses from the Bible that are quoted. And I thought this was quite interesting because I read it at the time when I was preparing this and I actually thought it was really a really interesting shift. So no longer is it popular to quote the verse. The traditional verse that was always the popular to quote on social media and everything was John 3.16, which I'm sure we are all very familiar with. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There has been a massive shift. According to Bible Gateway's research, in 2018, the most popular quoted verse online was Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, to prosper and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. It's a massively, massively quoted passage. It's also massively over-quoted, misquoted, sorry. Um, We often take comfort in this passage, but I hate to say it, and I have as well. Um, But that passage is actually addressed specifically to the people of Israel about their time in exile. It's actually not talking to us. 
but we always take comfort in it. Um, but it's become such a sound bite and a bite-sized snapshot that we actually haven't now got the context of it anymore. We just use it as a verse just to encourage us when we need it. The next one uh, is YouVersion's 2018 most quoted passage is actually on a similar sort of vein. It's Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And in 2017, the most popular verse was Joshua 1.9. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. There's a real theme of biblical reassurance in these passages. And it shows a shift in our affections towards verses that make us feel warm and fuzzy and encouraged in the short term, but perhaps neglects the long-term perspective that we're called to and what the original verse of popular verse of John 3.16 was very much about the eternal perspective, whereas these are very much about comfort in the here and now. If we're searching for these verses, it's often because we're looking for reassurance and possibly a sign that we're not at peace, that our hearts are anxious. So how do we fix that? Shifts to verses about trusting and encouraging God are actually brilliant, but we're trusting him for what? What is our heart motive behind what we're trusting for? As long as they're leading us to a place of deeper relationship with God and trusting him, and not just trusting him, sorry, for the house purchase or the next job promotion or the next thing in life that's going to give us peace, as long as they're actually leading us to him and our faith is being encouraged and we're we're trusting in the promiser and not the promises. Otherwise, we become like the man who asked the mundane question, the one who asked a question about inheritance in this life rather than inheritance in the next. He asked for uh, those seeking Jesus on wisdom on inheritance in this life and the money that we can have here rather than the eternal life that he purchased or was about to purchase for that man. That man could have had it all in that encounter with Jesus, but instead he had nothing. I think what's happened is that we've shrunk our capacity to live the eternal things of life because we've become so bogged down in the here and now. We've become hung up on our washing line of life. It's a real classic thing for people of my generation to not plan for their future. Talk about pensions to someone of my age, they probably don't have one. But it's the lack of planning for the long-term eternal future which is of more concern rather than planning for the retirement in this life. We've all been guilty of seeking God to sort out the plans that we have and blessing the plans that we have rather than focusing on building a relationship that will last for eternity. Now, this absolutely isn't meant to be a condemnation, which is why I, please God, don't make me ever have to give this message. Um, It's meant to inspire us to shift our perspective onto something higher, to shift to that eternal thinking. This has actually changed how I approach a few things in my life that I've been holding on for and believing that actually they're, they're important to me, but they're not that important that I need to neglect God for eternity and my relationship building with him while I'm waiting to see those things. It's a shift to eternity so that we don't end up like the man with his storehouses where stuff has become so important to him that he builds bigger barns instead of a bigger relationship with God. So what do we need to do? The instructions in this passage are quite clear, and so I've just picked out three things that I think this passage is telling us we need to do. One, seek first his kingdom. The kingdom of God is spiritually within the human heart, and it's an everlasting kingdom. It was given to Christ, and we will inherit it because we are in Christ. 
it's not about seeking God for the things we want, but with the motive. It's the motive we have. It's the genuine heart reason behind wanting to seek the things of God. Not because of what we can get in return, but because we want to seek God because he's worthy. We want to see his kingdom on earth, not for what he can do for us. So we just need to change our heart motive when we are seeking the kingdom. We need to connect with the Holy Spirit to recognize that sometimes we haven't got this right um, and ask him to help us shift our mindsets. These things don't change overnight. They're small steps. And each small step is a next step and a next step. Habits take a while to build. But intentional shifts to shift our perspective will help us reach our destination in the long run. So number two, do not be anxious or afraid. This is actually a really tricky one, I think, because there's a lot of people with anxiety and and worry about things. That man worried about his stuff. He worried about building his career, well, land, we're not farmers, careers is the, the kind of equivalent we have. He worried about building and toiling and working that land to get what he had. He was anxious. Think back to the billionaires who've had sleepless nights about bottom lines to get to where they've gone. And yet, God tells us that the birds know that they know who God is and that they're going to get all that they need. Worrying about the rope doesn't make it any longer. So in that time span, do I want to be a broken billionaire or the breezy bird? Be like Bob. We don't need to strive for the inheritance like the man at the beginning because we need to know that in our, through our relationship with God, we know that we're going to inherit the kingdom of God. We don't need to toil and stockpile like the man in the parable because God knows what we need. Verse 32 says, know that your father has gladly chosen to give you the kingdom. When we know who we are and who we are in Christ and who he is, then we, we know and trust. It helps build that trust that we know who we are. We're adopted into his family and we will inherit his kingdom as part of God's family. An inheritance so much greater than the one that that man was looking for in that first opening sentences. Fear not. Most of the verses that we uh, quote, um, they're all talking about fearing not, trusting God. As long as those are leading us to a place where we're actually trusting God for him and his future and not just trusting him for the promise we're hoping for, not the house promotion, the house purchase or the promotion, and the heart motive behind that, then we can trust him and fear not. And be encouraged by the testimony of others who've already seen what you're going through to bring our experience up to God's word and not bring God's word down to the experiences that we've seen so let's be anxious for nothing and number three spiritual storehouses the man in the parable had put his security in the stuff that he had accumulated god is saying i'm the only place that is a storehouse for eternity you can build these storehouses on earth full of your stuff full of all your things all your issues and your amazing careers but actually the only place you can store stuff is in heaven with an an unfailing treasure in heaven build that richness of relationship that lasts for eternity that stems from knowing who we are and knowing who our God is the lengths that he has gone to bring him to himself to us or us to himself if we invest in that relationship it will last for eternity and then we truly will have it all so I invite you this morning to take a look at your stock houses stock take your storehouses And going back to the question I asked right at the beginning, if Jesus was about to walk in the room and you had 30 seconds to ask him for anything, what would we ask him for? Does it change what we ask for if we're thinking about it from an eternal perspective? 
knowing that when we have an abundance, that, sorry, e- knowing that even when we have an abundance, our life doesn't consist of our possessions. Knowing that God calls the man foolish when he stores up treasures on the earth for himself by neglecting his relationship with God. Do I want to be a busy, bil- a busy billionaire, broken billionaire, or a blessed bird? I want to be a blessed bird. Be more like Bob. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up and just have a think about that thing. Are we seeking God for for the things that we can get from him or are we seeking God because we want a relationship with him that lasts forever? What's our heart motives behind the things that we would ask for? And if we had those 30 seconds with Jesus, what would we ask? Would we ask a stupid question about sorting out a little fight with our brother? Or would we ask for something more? So I'm going to just pray. God, we know that you have gone to extreme lengths to bring us to a place where we can be in relationship with you. And God, we recognize that sometimes we miss that point. Sometimes in life, we get really hung up on the walking line of life, of the things we need to do that we need to achieve and having the next thing. And God, when we've done that, we say sorry. And Lord, we ask that you would give us a real heart for your kingdom and your eternity and building a relationship with you and to make sure that our coming to you is not just a shopping list of requirements that we need for our life, but that in the process of doing life, we are getting closer to you. God, where we need to make changes, help us make those little small steps back to you and the big steps too, but help us to make habits that will really bring us back into a place of relationship with you and know that everything we need comes from a relationship with you. You're all we need. In Jesus' name.